Hello, hello, speech pathologists. Do you want to know the secret sauce to becoming a culturally competent clinician? You get brownie points if you answered cultural compatibility. Cultural compatibility is the act of learning from different cultures and putting that knowledge into practice. This concept was introduced in the nursing professions, and I am excited to continue this concept in speech language pathology. I'm writing a book titled Introduction to Cultural Compatibility in Speech Language Pathology. Through this book and the accompanying workbook, you'll gain a foundational understanding of the complexities of culture and cultural compatibility, the role it plays in speech language pathology, and how to apply this knowledge at an organizational, interprofessional, and clinical level. The book provides practical guidance, case studies, and resources to help you be more impactful as you work with multicultural colleagues and families. You can get this book now at the pre-sale rate at the Pediatric Speech Sister store or by clicking the link in the show notes. Get it at the pre-sale rate before the book launches in summer 2023. All right, let's get to the show. Hello, hello everyone, e hola, hola. Welcome to the Pediatric Speech Sister Show. I'm your sis, Melanie White Evans. I'm a bilingual pediatric speech language pathologist and cultural compatibility consultant, here to learn with you and discuss more ways we can uplift culturally diverse communities in our professions in day-to-day lives. This podcast is for you if you're ready to address the disparities in the United States healthcare and academic systems and are looking for more ways you can be culturally competent in your careers. Tune in weekly as I introduce mind-shifting topics that will support service-based professionals and students alike on our cultural competency journeys. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Before we get into today's episode, I want to first say thank you for coming to this episode, this pre-recorded live replay, so to speak. If you want to watch the visual episode, go to YouTube. There are some images there. I want to preface by saying I did cry in this episode, the trauma behind not just George Floyd's passing, but other Black people who have been harmed by racism in this country it cuts deep and I will talk about it more in the episode, but all of that to say, my intention is not to make anyone feel guilty or feel shame, but to light a fire inside each and every one of us. So that way we can learn how to be true allies, not only learn, but be. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Pediatric Speech Sisters show. My name is Melanie White Evans. I'm a bilingual speech language pathologist and cultural competibility expert. The reason why I'm a bit somber for this episode is because we are talking about George Floyd and we are really remembering his life and also ultimately what led to his death in 2020. So, In May 2020, that was a month and really a year that America will never forget. Not only were we going through a global health crisis, but 
when we were all sitting in our PJs, in our homes, we witnessed on television George Floyd getting murdered, sadly, by the hands of police. Now, this is not going to be a anti-police episode. In fact, it's far from it. This is more so going to be about what we can do as speech pathologists to continue to move the field forward and really focusing on allyship. Now, because of the weight of this episode and really the weight of George Floyd's passing, Ahmaud Arbery's passing, Breonna Taylor's passing, and what's coming in my head, I'm still thinking about Sandra Bland and Trayvon Martin and Mike Brown, Emmett Till even, no matter how long ago those were, we're still experiencing the trauma of these. And so as a woman from the Black community, a woman of the Black community, these issues are very felt. To this day, I barely like to turn on the news because I'm so tired of hearing about police brutality. I'm so tired of hearing about racism in general. I'm so tired of hearing about anti-trans bills being passed, anti-Black bills being passed. I'm tired. And we talk a bit about holding a safe space for people of color and ultimately the minoritized individuals in our profession. Last week, I talked to Fong Lin Palafox and we both agreed that safe space needs to be earned. It takes a lot out of us actually to express the trauma, which is why I really don't like to do it a lot in my own work settings even. So before we get started, I do want to just say a prayer. If you are not spiritual or religious, I just ask that you will do a moment of silence for this. Father God, thank you so much for this episode and thank you so much for this platform allowing us to speak out against injustices and minoritized communities. Father God, I ask that you will forgive us for any injustices that we've perpetuated to our brothers and sisters. Father God, thank you so much for speaking through me in this episode and putting that fire in our spirits and our hearts, Father God, so that way we can take tragedies such as this and make a change that needs to happen so we can create more love in our universe. Lord God, I pray over George Floyd's family. I pray over Breonna Taylor's family. I pray over Ahmaud Arbery's family, and I pray that they will continue to Find the justice that they are yearning for in their hearts. I pray that you will bless their families. And Lord God, as it pertains to speech pathology, I pray that you will bless our field. I pray that you will continue to use our sacred efforts for positive change and so that people can feel included in this profession and people will continue to stay and fight for what they believe in and feel empowered to do so in this profession. Father God, please continue to uplift our voices here. Thank you so much. It's in your precious name we pray this prayer. Amen. Thank you everyone for that moment of silence and for participating in that prayer. So if you are not a part of the speech pathology community, I thank you for hanging around and listening to this episode because whatever profession you are a part of, hopefully they have set 
seeds in place to be more anti-racist. Today, we are talking about anti-Black racism, although there are injustices across all minoritized communities. However, I do just want to take a moment and focus on the Black community today. After the death of George Floyd, Asha put out a statement and ultimately it said, we commit to rooting out the systemic inequalities that exist in our communities, within our professions, our schools and universities and workplace. Asha said, this is a time for evaluating our individual and collective contributions to maintaining the status quo and our responsibility to change it. We must identify meaningful solutions that address the challenges facing black people to enable every person to be heard, to feel safe, and to thrive. Ashen's envisioned future states that by 2025, inclusive policies and practices are in place with the association and throughout the discipline to ensure that there is a diversity of perspective that informs professional practice and decision-making. So what have I seen? Well, I know in 2020 when this happened, this is when the Pediatric Speech Sister brand blew up. I put out a post called Five Ways to Support Black and Brown Children in Clinical and Academic Settings. The reason why I put this out is because, hey, especially at that time and since history, we've been targeted. And sadly, we haven't had a lot of support. Black people are a minoritized group. We are part of the underserved community. We are often looked at as criminals. We are often seen as adults, even as children. I think about George Floyd and he had a counterfeit $20 bill and ended up losing his life. And really it was because the cop was scared. He was a big black man and he was scared even though he was saying, I can't breathe. He was calling out to his mom. So before I even get into the nitty gritty of today's episode, could you imagine Could you imagine, first of all, seeing your father on the screen, seeing your brother, your loved one, someone you went to school with, being choked, a grown man calling out to his mom. I really hope that people who are non-Black listening to this episode, and by the way, I really felt like I have to say this When I say non-Black, I'm not just talking about white people here. I'm also talking about other people within the BIPOC community because I've experienced racism outside of just white people. I've experienced racism from Asian people. I've experienced racism from Hispanic and Latina people. So this is a system-wide problem and... If you look up the book casts, I recommend people read that book. Everyone sees my complexion. I'm dark skinned. Okay, so even though I am educated, I'm still looked at as a dark black woman and historically in society and propaganda against black people, especially on the darker end of the spectrum, are seen as less than. If we go all the way back to history, I would be the one in the field where my lighter skin brothers and sisters would be in the house. We call them house slaves and field slaves. So this runs very deep. George Floyd is a tall black man. I think about my brother. 
I'm sorry. I, th I think about my brother. And... Okay, I was going to cut this out, but I'm going to go ahead and just cry. Because... Um, I really want people to feel this. My brother is a tall black man and he actually ended up shaving his locks because he was tired of being criminalized so easily which he did end up being criminalized so easy easily he was placed on the school to prison pipeline and ended up in prison right so this is why this is part of the reason why i'm so passionate about this because i watched it happen and it's very close to home so I can't imagine, when I see George Floyd, I see my brother. My brother still does dumb things like that, just dumb things that could be seen as, um, you know, that like my brother hasn't had counterfeit $20 bills or selling selling cigarettes illegally on the street. That's, that's um, another case. Um, he hasn't done that. But those tiny, petty crimes could cost him his life. If he's not killed, he's thrown in jail for 25 years of his life, right? Which he, it was his first crime. And he was thrown in prison to be in there for 25 years. And it took our faith. It took our whole family. It took the strength of God, seriously, to get him back. And that's why he's back with his family today. Instead of having to spend his whole 25 years. At the time, he was like 23. So he would have been almost 50 when he got out. And his kids would have had to grown up seeing him in prison. This is why it's so important to me. Because as service providers and people who work in the education system and work alongside individuals of colors who are seen as black. It is literally our civic duty to make sure that they are safe, to make sure they are okay. Asha actually has it in the code of ethics that we take care of the well-being of the people that we serve. It's principle one. And so I think that if you do not walk the shoes, if you do not see yourself or anyone who you love and know in these images and traumatic images on TV of specifically black women and men getting beat, thrown in jail, executed on live television and seeing those images over and over and over and over again, you're not going to really see why Black people are so passionate about it. Thank y'all for holding space for me. Let's talk about allyship. So here's what I saw after the George Floyd murder. And I really want to say execution. I saw non-Black colleagues putting up Black squares. I remember there were brands who chose not to use their platform to speak out against it and... Obviously, it's because they don't want to ruffle any feathers from their predominantly white fan base, customer base, all of that. Understandable, but not. 
because I do believe that if you are silent, you are also part of the problem, especially if you have a platform. Please use your platform to talk against these issues because we are the minority. So if it's only us, it seems like we're biased. Like, oh, I mean, she's black. So of course she's going to say Black Lives Matter because she's black. No, I'm saying Black Lives Matter because I'm so tired of seeing my brothers and sisters being killed on national television. I'm saying Black Lives Matter because I genuinely do care about social justice. I'm saying Black Lives Matter because this is a systemic problem that we've been talking about for years and years and years and years and years and there is still nothing happening. I'm saying Black Lives Matter because this is the hashtag that is driving change. So heck yeah, I'm going to hop on this bandwagon and say Black Lives Matter and wear the shirt that says I can't breathe because I have the platform. I have power. I mentioned Fong because I pretty much just got off the phone with her and she was just like, there is power in the room and I have privilege to this power. And as someone who is part of the BIPOC community, that is a powerful statement to say. And if you are not part of the BIPOC community, you literally are given the power. Like you have the privilege and you can own the privilege. You can seriously own the privilege, own the privilege. Say, hey, I am a white woman in a predominantly white society and a predominantly white profession or a white man in a predominantly white society, predominantly white profession. Let me take this opportunity to speak and to speak out against it and be an ally. So what have I seen? I've seen allyship. I've seen performative allyship. I've seen Vicki Dale Williams get elected to be a black female president, which awesome. We're making steps in the right direction. I've seen initiatives from ASHA, such as That's Unheard Of, which helps speech pathologists build their cultural competency. So I've seen these changes. At the same time, I've seen a lot of fizzling out. And when George Floyd got murdered in 2020, there was a lot of fire. There was a lot of repost. And then now here we are in 2023. And I'm getting unfollowed just by talking about discrimination against black hair in professional work environments. So let's talk about that in allyship. Support your black creators, support your black Instagram account, support your black businesses. Even though we naturally gravitate towards what we know, which is typically our communities. So again, I'm not just talking about our white profession, the white part of our profession, I'm talking about all the other communities. You might be naturally inclined to support your white colleagues. And again, we are outnumbered. But please go seeking out those black creators because I'm telling you right now, their stories are necessary. Their stories have trauma behind them, have healing and have strength beyond just the pretty pictures that you see. Support them because you're supporting their heart. You're supporting their work. You're supporting their healing. Okay, that's number one. Number two, 
moving forward, I want to see less performative allyship and more consistency from non-Black colleagues. So I want to talk about performative allyship. Fosberg from Penn State Law says performative allyship is based on the idea of self-gratification and does not look at your responsibility within a community. It's disingenuous. Performative allyship is done to make yourself feel better, to prove you are not racist, to create a perception of yourself for others, and to be trendy. So I have had people reach out to me to show allyship, but it was clearly performative. It's it's a gut feeling like, hey, I'm an ally and oh, I'm gonna follow you on Instagram and I'm gonna like all your posts and yeah, I'm not racist. I love black people. It's actually, you're doing more harm than good. It actually only hurts us even more. Now, some people from my community, because we can be very afraid to share our emotions, even crying was very vulnerable for me. <laughs> people from our community won't use that language hurt. But I will say it triggers us. It traumatizes us when you say, hey, I'm an ally. Again, I'm not just talking about our white colleagues. When you say, hey, I'm an ally, but you don't do further work. Okay, so to me, this is what allyship is. Allyship is learning. I talk a lot about cultural compatibility, which is the process of learning and being. Okay, so you have to learn how to be an ally and then you have to be an ally. What does it mean to learn how to be an ally? Continue to learn from us. Continue to, we're talking about black people right now. Continue to learn from your black colleagues. Continue to learn about their unique experiences. I talk about that in five ways to support black and brown children. I will include that free poster in the show notes just so you can get some more insights on that. But continue to educate yourself on our unique experiences. Continue to educate yourself on things that hold us back. Continue to be at the forefront of those policies, such as critical race theory being banned and book banning, things like that that are deemed as political issues, but really it's more so human rights issues. And that's another thing, knowing the, not even that much of a fine line, y'all. My personal opinion, it is not that hard. Understanding the fine line between human rights and politics and not blending the two, right? So learning, other thing, like I said, Use your platform to uplift Black voices. Go out of your way to uplift and support Black creators and causes. So it is hard to, like I said, if all of your Instagram, this is how the algorithm works, if all of your social media platforms or your white colleagues, your friends, I understand, or your non-Black colleagues, go out of your way to find us because we are there. We are here. And we are working and a lot of times it feels like we're the only ones doing the work. And we are outnumbered because we are only 3% of this profession. So we actually need your help. If we actually want to create change, some of us might be prideful and be like, we don't need nobody else. We got to No, actually, if we actually are trying to send a ripple effect throughout not only the speech community, but throughout the world throughout the United States of racial harmony, or at least us creating change and creating more rights 
for black people, yes, we need more than just black people speaking up. Wouldn't it have been nice with the new abortion law passed, for example, wouldn't it have been nice if there were more women at that table voting? It's the same thing. Another thing about allyship, acknowledge your role in anti-black racism and change your own condition narrative. So I really recommend reading the book, There's White Rage and There's White Fragility. Now, I'm putting myself in a white person's shoes and I'm like, why would I want to read something called White Fragility? It's like, are you trying to say I'm fragile? Hear me out. This is actually written, this book was written by a white woman, actually. So I highly recommend it. Okay, if I would read anything written by a black woman that talked about trauma on colorism. Okay, I would because I'm like, oh, that's something I identify with. I'm clearly traumatized or I get triggered when colorism knocks on my door. So let me go ahead and read that book. Okay, so I recommend acknowledging your role in anti-black racism. This is about checking your implicit biases Noticing how your body feels when you're around your black colleagues, especially if you are a white woman or a small Asian woman around a big black man like George Floyd, your body might react. And this is all, this does not mean that you are racist. This means that you were conditioned to feel that a big black man or black people are dangerous and harmful. So I really challenge you to acknowledge your role in black racism and acknowledge your role in anti-black racism. Lastly, commit to justice without being seen. That's the most genuine thing you can do. I think about even biblically, for example, fasting. And I'm sure it's like this in the Muslim community too. Fasting, you aren't supposed to let people know that you are fasting. If it's for spiritual reasons, you're not supposed to let people know that you are fasting. Even tithing, don't be bragging about how much you're giving. You notice those celebrities like Oprah, for example, gives in silence, right? She's not being a performative philanthropist. She just is. And that's how you can be an ally. I'm gonna to have to do another episode on this one, so watch out for that. I hope that this episode helped you today. I, there are things that are real and things that, as you saw, clearly affect us, the Black community. And if you care anything about your Black colleagues and the Black children that you work with, I really challenge you to take those additional steps to try to have the cultural desire to learn about our unique experiences, to learn about how those traumatic events such as George Floyd affect us. Check your performative allyship. It's so easy to hop on a trend, especially if it happens over and over and over again. It's like, oh, well, here's another one. So I'm kind of tired of talking about that. Let's talk about how to use bubbles in speech therapy instead, because this is more palatable to me. Okay, all right. I say all these things with love, in solidarity. I'll see you in the next episode. Bye y'all.
Well, family, that's the episode. What did you think? Wherever you're listening, I'd appreciate if you left a review. Your feedback means a lot to me and helps me find more ways to help you on your journeys. If you're looking for more ways to expand your cultural compatibility in your clinical practices, follow me on Instagram at Pediatric Speech Sister and check out my newsletter for more show updates. I'll include all these links in the show notes. Until then, I'll see you next week.